Well, the first time I was ever exposed to um, severe um, psychiatric uh, problems when I was a little, little, little boy. Um, my mother has um, had psychiatric problems for a long, long, mental issues for a long time, ever since I can remember. And I remember how deeply it affected me and how much it's affected me throughout my life. And I remember many, many, many times wishing that it would go away, wishing that it wouldn't be there anymore, hoping that something would change. And it never has. It never has. We all have moments like that, suffering that we go through, pain that we experience, things that we wish were not there, but there they are. Circumstances we wish we hadn't gone through, but it's right there. For those circumstances in life, God speaks to, which is the basis of this series called The Waiting Room. All of us are going to be here in this chair at one time or another. In our lives, we will have suffered and gone through difficulty and pain, circumstances that would have made our hearts heavy, our souls broken, and our tears stream down our face. All of us will have a waiting room experience in life. For some of you, you'll be in the waiting room for a day or a month, and some of you for the rest of your lives. But all of us will be in the waiting room from one, at one point or another. You know what the waiting room is, right? The waiting room is when that moment where life changes and the way things were are not, and before life gets to where you hope it would be. That's the waiting room. You know, he comes home and he says, that's it. I don't want to be with you anymore. The doctor says, sit down. We have some really serious issues to discuss. The, the child comes home and says, I'm pregnant. It's when things change, when, when the new normal comes in, but before the hope is realized. That's the waiting room. So God knows that we're going to go through suffering, so his word speaks an awful lot about it, and we've been speaking an awful lot about it these last few weeks. This is our third Sunday in this series called The Waiting Room. And the one question, the one question that we're answering in all five weeks is this question. What do you do when there's nothing left to do? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you've begged when you've manipulated, when you've threatened, when you've forced, when you've cajoled, when you've worked, when you've done everything you can, every avenue, everything you could possibly do, and nothing has changed. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Those are painful, painful questions. Now here at Arhal, the way we do series is that we, we take one big idea and every week we sort of pound down on, uh, on this one theme. In this case, it's this question, what do you do when there's nothing left to do? 
And then we take one theme each week and we drill deeper and deeper and deeper. Week one, we talked about when you find yourself in the waiting room, we said, don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait on him. Say that with me. Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait on him. When you find yourself in the waiting room, the first thing we learned is that, hey, don't forget, wait, Jesus died on the cross. He died for my sin. He promised never to leave me or forsake me. God remembers. God is with me and he's for me. No matter how dark it is, he is with me. He remembers me. He remembers my tears. So I'll wait on him. And remember what we said about wait? Wait is patiently pursuing. It's not laziness. It's not doing nothing. It's patiently pursuing. That's what we learned in week one. Last week, we learned, as we were so wonderfully reminded, that I can't, he can, through me. You know, so you're in that horrible marriage, and you go, I can't be in this marriage for another day, and Jesus finally goes, you got it. Finally, you got it. You can't, of course you can, but I can, and I can through you. You're, you tell yourself, I can't do the singleness for another year. The new year is coming up. I can't do the singleness for another year. I want a husband. I want a wife. And Jesus goes, you're right. You can't. But Jesus says, I can. And I can through you. You're facing physical ailments. And the medication doesn't help that much, and it's just awful. And you go, I can't take this anymore. And Jesus says, you're right. You can't. But I can. And I can through you. So we, as we've been looking at each week, we've landed on this week. And this week, it is tough to speak about what we're talking about this week. Because listen to me. Forget about a file in your mind. Some of us don't even have the file cabinet to put the thought in our mind about what we're going to learn today. Yeah. That it is possible that we will never be able to grow or mature past our suffering until we can be grateful to God for it. Now you go, oh, hold up now. Wait just one minute. And I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. Wait up. When I was a young boy, an older man invited me into his room, closed the door, locked and double locked it, and unspeakable and horrible things happened to me that day. You're saying I'm supposed to thank God for that? Now wait, let me clarify. I'm not saying that we go, wow, that was a good thing. Because that'll never be a good thing, ever. But what we are saying is that we will never grow until we could say, God, I wouldn't ask that for my worst enemy. I wouldn't want to go through that again.
but because of my suffering, I've been able to help others who have suffered in the same way. So thank you. There's nothing good about it. Nothing holy about that moment. It was an awful moment. But what the devil meant for evil, you have used for your good purposes. You'll never get beyond that. You'll never be, you know why? Because when you and I go through suffering, there'll be, it's multiple choice. You have two roads that you can go. The first road that you can go down when you suffer, when I suffer, when we go through pain, the first road we go down is bitterness. Have you ever been around a bitter person? Some of you, in just a few days, you're going to be inviting bitter people to your house. And you're going to be eating with them a wonderful meal. And you're going to do the entire party to try to stay away from the bitter people. Am I, wrong? am I wrong about that or am I right about that? Absolutely. Just a few more days. Just a few more days. Some of you, the reason that you're volunteering here is so that you could stay away from the bitter... Po- The fact is nobody wants to be around bitter people, and yet we become those bitter people. You know what's terrible about being a bitter person? Is it's very hard to see bitter in the mirror. You can see it in everybody else. Isn't it true? If you got something stuck between your teeth, I see it clearly. If I got something stuck between my teeth, I have no idea it's there. If you're bitter, I can call it out like that. If I'm better, bitter, you don't understand. You don't know what they did to me. I have excuses. I have reasons. I have all sorts of other thoughts. But those are one of our choices. When suffering happens in our life, when difficulties emerge, when we go through great pain, one path is called bitterness. Another path, another path we can go down. We can either get bitter or we can get better. We can allow the pain and the suffering to lead us to find our rest and peace in Christ. We can allow that the suffering that Christ has allowed to not only draw us to himself, but use it as a source of blessing for others. There are so many of you right now in this room who have a background of addiction that is horrific. It's hellish. It's awful. The things that you had to do, the things that you did after you got what you had to do, the circumstances that you had to go through were scarring experiences, and yet God has used those scarring experiences to become a light and a hope for those who are just starting on the journey. I would never ask for it again. I'd never wish it on my worst enemy. Thank you. That's the lesson we're going to learn today. That God sometimes gives us gifts wrapped in pain. And the question is, 
will we receive it as a gift and get better? Or will we kick against it and become bitter? Now, it would be something if you and me were the only ones who went through this issue of suffering and we had to figure it out. But the good news is, is that God has... Listen, if you're here and you're new and like Jesus is not Lord and you're not like, you know, it's like you, you, while we were singing, your weird meter was like going over, right? Right? You know, and then, you know, you're, man, you hear a tambourine, you hear a... Boy, I don't know where I am now, boy. This is, this is rough. And, and I get that, I get that. I wasn't born and raised in a church. I went to church and I was freaked out by it. Which makes why I'm here all the more humorous to me. Um, however, however, if you're here and you're new and Jesus is not Lord, there is good news. God speaks about this very issue of suffering in his word. And if you're here, and you know and love Jesus, and he's your Lord and Savior, and you depend on him for the very next breath you're going to take, there's good news. God knows that you're going to suffer. And he's written it in his word. And there's hope for us yet. So God knows that we're going to suffer, and as a result of that, he has given us examples, real-life examples in his word to show what suffering looks like, and how to get through it. He shows it to us in the life of this man by the name of Paul. Paul is one of God's favorites. You wouldn't guess it by looking through the pain that he'd gone through in his life. He'd been beaten for the gospel. This is all after he found Christ. Or rather, we should say, after Christ found him. Because none of us look for Christ, right? You weren't looking for Christ when you found him, right, right, right? He was looking for you. You were looking for something else. <laughs> and yet when Christ found us, when Christ found us, changed everything. Well, when Christ found Paul, it was the same thing. Paul would be like God's spoiled brats whom he loved, although you couldn't tell it from the suffering he went through. He'd been in jail for the gospel. Not for any illegal activity he did, but for the gospel. He had been beaten, shipwrecked, falsely accused, friends betraying him, all for the gospel. And he was writing this letter to the Corinthian church. He's being betrayed by them. They're being wooed by other pastors, other apostles. And they're like, Paul's not that great. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine, having served this church for the last dozen years, I can't imagine some preacher coming in here and this church going, thanks, Ed, no thanks. We appreciate your service. Be out. Wow. But that's what he's experiencing. And so as we look to his story, we're looking to a man who's acquainted with suffering. Now, in the book of Corinthians, let me explain this. In the book of Corinthians, Paul is correcting the Corinthian church. As he's correcting the Corinthian church, this issue of other, what he calls, super apostles. He calls them super apostles. See, these guys come in and they go, Paul, 
Who's Paul? Could you imagine? Paul is like one of the three most influential people in all of history. It's like hardly anybody in the whole world who's been more influential than Paul. Could you imagine? These other guys, we don't even know their names. These guys are going, Paul, who's Paul? Because they can speak so eloquently. Because they can get the crowd riled up. Because they, when they, they, they perform miracles. And they, they have prophetic dreams. And they see visions. And they come into this church and they're like, and everybody's like, ooh, and ah, and wow, and whoa. And everybody's like real impressed with what they're uh, talking about. So eventually it comes to the point where they say, and what about Paul? And Paul, with a broken heart, is writing these people. And in chapter 10, two chapters before we pick up, Paul starts going, listen, this kind of braggadocia, this kind of celebrating yourself, this kind, listen to me, it's stupid. It's not worth it. It's silly. Paul goes, but I'm going to be a fool. You want to brag? I'll brag. You want to boast? I'll boast. And he over and over and over, you could hear him. It's sort of this reluctance. You know, almost like when your kid comes up to you. And, and man, I hope this never happens. But yeah, what have you ever done for me? Oh, man, if you can't figure it out, I'm not telling you. You know? But if it ever got to the point, I go, okay, listen. All right, I'm going to be a fool. I'll be a fool. I've loved you with all my heart. I've given you everything I know to give you for your good. Not everything you wanted. You know, you would, you would, but it would have broken heart. This is stupid. Why would I have to defend myself? I've, I've, I've been your spiritual father. I've birthed you, Paul would say. Why would you make me do this? In fact, in a point, he says, you put me up to this. Paul is pouring out his heart. And then he gets to chapter 12. And he goes, I'm not going to do this boasting anymore. And he talks about, I know of a guy, he speaks of himself as the third person. He goes, I know of this guy at the beginning of the very chapter that we're looking at. I know of this guy who went to the third heaven. You go, what's the third heaven? Well, in antiquity, when they thought of the third heaven, here's what it was like. The first heaven was the sort of the atmosphere, you know, where the clouds are, skies, like that. The second heaven was where the celestial bodies are, you know, moon, stars, sun, things like that. And the third heaven was where God resided. That's God's house. Paul says, I went to the third heaven. I was where God is. And I saw things that no human has ever seen. And I, and I saw things that no person could ever speak about. It was, but I'm not going to boast about that. Listen, you, you know what I'm going to boast about? I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about my sufferings. And it's within that context that Paul, that we pick up Paul's words to find what Paul has done with his suffering as he boasts in it. So what we're going to do is, uh, this is our tradition, we're going to stand to read God's word. And what we're going to do, listen to me, is we're going to read, all of us, in a robust, loud, passionate voice, God's Word. Okay? Will you do it with me? 
Oh, you guys suck. All right, try a little harder than that, okay? What are you doing with me? Yeah. Don't make me curse up in here, okay? All right, here we go. On the count of three, on the count of three. One, two, three. So to keep me from because of the surpassing a thorn was given me, a messenger to keep me three times that it should leave me. But he said to me, my for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when this is God's word. Please have a seat. Paul comes to the point of his suffering and he talks about the difficulty that he's going to, that if he's going to boast on anything, he's going to boast. He's going to boast hmm. about his weaknesses. So we see in verse 7, Paul is picking up this idea and he says, after he talked about this third, this, this revelation about the third heaven, he goes, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Here's the rule. If you get to see God in his throne room, expect suffering. <laughs> like, you know, you know and what's interesting is that Paul had been, God had revealed this to Paul 14 years before. You know what happens today? If God reveals something like this, five minutes later, people write a book about it, right? Have you seen that book, you know, it's a little boy who went to heaven, right? He saw that little book, it was a little boy, I went to heaven or something like that. I'm not sure about all that, but what I am sure about is that the moment people get a revelation, they want to they wanna share it, they want to tell people about it, they want to make money off of it. Paul says, here's what happened 14 years ago. First time he's speaking about it. I was given a thorn to keep me from being conceited. I was given a thorn. Listen to what it says. A thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, this is incredible. The thorn that Paul is talking about is not like a little prick on your finger that hurts. And you're like, Ugh, I, somebody get me the tweezers. Let me get it out. The thorn that he's talking about is more like a spear. A spear, something that was agonizing to him. Something that was devastating to him. Now what's incredible is that Paul never gets clear about what his thorn is. He never tells you what his thorn is. People have, by collecting Paul's writings, have guessed at what his thorn is. Some people said because Paul had eyesight problems. He had eyesight problems, and so Paul said, oh, it was his physical ailment, the eyesight problem. Others said, oh, no, 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 no. This is the torment that Paul 
had to experience spiritually satanic attacks. Spiritually, he was attacked. Others have said, no, 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 no. This is neither spiritual nor physical. This is volitional. There's a temptation that Paul is going through. And these temptations keep haunting him. Now, what I'm grateful for is that God never tells us. So, because if God told us, you'd disqualify yourself. You'd say, well, I'm not like Paul. But God didn't tell us because God wanted us to be sure that we, you insert your name in this text. For some of you, your thorn might be your marriage. It's as painful. I mean, it started out so beautiful. It started out like a walk in heaven, and now it's like a picnic in hell. Painful. Only people who laugh at that are the people who are not married. Painful. For some of you, it really is a physical ailment. It really is. Like you, you get this devastating, awesome pain and that all the medication in the world doesn't help you with. And for some of you, it's temptation. You've been trying to stay clean for 15 years, and you can't put 15 days together. I don't know. But there was this thorn, this spear in Paul's flesh. But what's interesting is not so much that it was a thorn. We all go through thorns. We all go through suffering. But Paul, the word that he gives it, he says, there, a thorn was, listen to, listen to the word he used, given, given me. Now, in the, you, you do understand that Paul did not write in English, right? Paul wrote, when he wrote his letters, he was writing in Greek, the Koine Greek, the, the, the people's Greek, the sort of the, you know, the street talk of the day. But it was in Greek. Now, the Greek word that was used, given, you could, you could use several different words for given. Like, you could use a special word given for, like, I gave him a screwdriver or I gave him a wrench. It's not like a gift or anything like that. It's just, like, handed to him, right? And another given is, like, um, you know, I gave him the cold. That's not pleasurable at all. That's something totally different. You receive it, and you go, oh, that's not a, you know, that's no fun, right? That, that, that's like contracted, right? Um, and then there's another kind of gift. And it was like the kind of gift that you wrap up, and you leave under the tree, and it's Christmas, and you're like seven years old, and it kind of looks like a bike, and you're like, oh, oh, this is the bike, ooh, ooh, ooh. And you come, and you unwrap it, and you're like, yeah, that, that's the word that Paul uses. That's the word that he uses. He uses the word given like gift. Not like contracted. Not like handed. Like gift. How, Paul, Paul, how could you say that? How could you say that the suffering that you're going through is a gift? Paul would say, because sometimes God gives gifts wrapped in pain. There was a thorn given me, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. God gave this to me 
And he gave me a messenger from Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. Isn't that interesting? What's the purpose for your suffering, Paul? To keep you from becoming conceited. At which point, you would think that Paul would lean back and go, um, are there any other plans, any other ways you can keep me from coming conceited? You know, like a receding hairline or, or something else, something else to keep me from becoming conceited. Surely there are better things. No, 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 no. This only the suffering will do. Here's, here's what you need to know. When God allows suffering to happen in our life, when God gives the gift of suffering, when you ask for its removal, the no sometimes comes with a purpose. Sometimes not so much. But sometimes it does. But there's a purpose. There's something that God is doing in your soul. Something. You go, I don't see it. I know. But he's doing something. Is he trying to keep me from being conceited? I don't know. Maybe. But there's something he's doing in your soul. Let's go on. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Isn't that incredible? Now, Paul is not saying that time number one, I pleaded with the Lord. Time number two, I pleaded with the Lord. And then time number three, I pleaded with the Lord. And then I never spoke to the Lord about this again. You know, what Paul was saying is that there was a season of life, with three, actually three seasons of life, where Paul kept on coming back to Jesus. Have, do you know what I'm talking about? Like when the marriage looks like it's going to fall apart, and for like three months you find yourself on your knees begging God to change his mind about the brokenness of this relationship. That in the two weeks while you're waiting for the test results to come back, you're like, I'm all up in the Bible and praying and asking God to relieve this pain from me, right? While you, you know, God, please don't let it happen. Please don't let it happen. You don't ask once. You ask a million times. But it's a season. I ask this time, this season. That's what Paul is talking about. There were three seasons in life where he was at the end of his rope and he begged God to take it from him. Here's something we need to know. That when you are at the end of your rope, God is at the beginning of his. You should know that. Three seasons of life, Paul comes up to God and says, please take this from me. But he said to me, the next verse, this is Jesus' response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. To which Paul says, is there another answer? <laughs> What's behind door number two? Uh, is this the only thing you're going to say about this situation? Really? Because that sounds pretty severe. That sounds an awful lot like a no. I'm not going to take it from you. Yeah. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now think about this for a second. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So when we are at the place where we think we can go no longer is the moment that God's power takes off in our lives. 
I've seen this boy. If you've, if you've ever been as, uh, around as many deathbed confessions and deathbeds as I have, because it's part of what I do, you know when the power of God is resting on someone who's trusted Christ their whole life to take them home with freedom, joy, and gladness. And you know when you're sitting next to somebody who is, oh my. I remember sitting, I remember it was only for a minute. He threw me out of the room. And he was just as miserable as you could be. I just felt so pained for him. Paul is saying that when you're, when you're weak, Jesus promises to be made strong in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We're back to this boasting thing. Remember the super apostles? They were boasting about visions. They were boasting about great sermons. They were boasting about healings and things like that. Paul goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to boast upon my weaknesses, my temptations, my flaws. That's what I'll boast upon. uh, Just recently, and and I'm so grateful for this congregation. This congregation, you you pay me a wage, and uh, I get to do what God has called me to do. And um, uh, three times a year, it's supposed to be three times a year, I usually only go once, but I get to go away uh, and either, and go to a place where it's quiet, and I pray, and part of what I do is pray and fast and read, and I do all sorts of things, so just to hear God's voice, slow down, and to commune with God in a very concentrated way. Well, this time I went away, and I was, you know, I, I was like above this garage thing where they rented out to me for a week or so. And, um, and I was there, and I couldn't believe the temptation that I was going through. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say I couldn't believe the temptation I was going through? I'm talking about the kind of temptation that you know you can't survive. I have to give in to this temptation. I feel like it's overwhelming. And that's the kind of temptation I was going through. You ever went through that? If you haven't, you will. So I was in this season of temptation that I couldn't shake and it happened the first day and it kept on going to the degree that the Spirit of God said, Edwin, close down your computer, take your iPad, take your phone, walk it to the car, leave it there. Leave it there. Just don't, you know, yeah, but God, I have to study, I have to read your word, I have to, you know, because it's all electronic for me now. And he goes, no, it's all right. You're going to spend some time with me. I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says, I'm not going to boast in the 10,000 people that I spoke to last year. I'm not going to boast about the, the incredible healings that took place after I prayed for that person. Top of a garage, I'm supposed to be praying, fighting with temptation. Because when I boast in my weakness, Christ's power rests on me. This is so freeing for our church. You know what this means? That you can stop faking. You can stop masking. You can stop pretending. Isn't it great to be in a church where someone's, how are you doing? I'm wrestling mighty. I don't know if I can come out, but Christ is powerful. 
and he's able. Isn't that good news? That you don't have to, listen, that you don't have to be strong. That you don't have to boast in your strength. That you don't have to go, 79 days since, 20 years since, you can go, I screwed up yesterday. Or, or better yet, I've been going through more temptation than I know what to do with. And he's powerful. And he's powerful. He's powerful. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with what? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak. You see the word for? For. Because. For. When I am weak, then I am strong. You're going through it. You're experiencing great turmoil. Listen to me. God, it's a gift. It took me years. You know when I finally learned verse 9? I learned it on that retreat. Because all my life I've been praying for my mother to get better. All my life I've been praying for my depression to go away. All my life I've been praying for the temptations that I struggle with not to be anymore. All my life I've been praying for them. And finally, I started to thank them for it. Thank you. You know, I don't suppose if I didn't have these struggles, I don't suppose I would be as close to you as I am now. I don't suppose that I would know you like I do now. It's been a gift. Thank you. I don't suppose that I would be longing for you and seeking your face. I speak, I speak with pastors sometimes, and sometimes they ask me about my prayer life, and I tell them about my prayer life. They go, you're kidding me. With all the things that you have going on, you spend how much time? And I go, you know, you, listen, the only difference between me and you is I'm more desperate. It's not, I'm not holier. I'm not better. I'm not like more, more spiritual. I'm weaker. I'm more desperate. I need Jesus for real. And so for the first time, I started to thank him for the very thing that I wanted him to remove. I think that's where God wants us when we're in the waiting room to be able to thank him that when he gives us the gift, again, I wouldn't ask for it again. I wouldn't pray for this for my worst enemy. And I certainly don't want it to happen again. This happened with my homeless situation. I was homeless multiple times while in ministry. Wouldn't ask, not ask, listen, not asking for a redo. Don't, like, don't wrap up that gift again. But thank you. Now, whenever I try to communicate the gospel to you guys, I try to give you visuals so that you could see a little bit clearer. So, let's see if I can do this. Sometimes, God gives us a gift that's wrapped in pain. And it's the gift that nobody wants. And it's the gift that nobody is anxious to open. 
And it's the gift, listen, it's the gift that if you could take it back and return it for something else, you would. But God gives it to you, and he gives it to you because he loves you. And he gives it to you because there's something better than what you want. There's something better he has planned for you. And you open up the gift, and in it, you see, oh, my finances are upside down. The creditors are calling. The tension is building. You have no idea how you're going to build or pay back your, your credits, your credit uh, cards. Your debt is up to you. You're drowning. You're thinking, of, you're thinking of calling in bankruptcy. The stress is overwhelming. God says, it's a gift. Because there was no other way for me to get your attention about how you're living for other people's view of you and how you're living to impress other people and how painful that is. How about living and resting in me and finding your identity, not in what other people think about your car, but what I think about your soul? Maybe the gift that God has given you is finances that are upside down. Maybe for some of you, the gift that God has given you is singleness. You go, God, I just want to be married. I feel all alone. And especially if you're a woman, you think to yourself, am I going to grow old by myself? I mean, my clock is ticking. I want to have children. The dream that you had of having a family is going away every minute. God has given you this gift. God has shared this gift with you. And you're tempted, you're tempted to go with Mr. Horrible. You're tempted, but, but he's the only guy around. And you go, and listen, 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 listen to me. For those of you who are single, listen, listen. It's a gift. It's a gift. He's trying to teach you something. No, 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 but I'm going to compromise my morals and I'm going to have sex with this dude so that he could get closer to me and he could feel dependent on me and I figure if I give him the sex, then he'll give me what I want, which is commitment and security and all the things that I'm looking for. Yeah, that, that's what I'll do. No, no, no. And Jesus is going, no, 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 listen to me. Be single. Be single. It's, there's something I'm teaching. I'm teaching you that I'm enough, but I feel so lonely. Good. I, I accompany you. But I feel like I, I, I'm going to die alone. No, you won't. Not with me with you. Some of you, the gift that you don't want is singleness. And it's the gift that you got. For others of you, it's the other side of the street. Marriage. And you're like, oh my goodness, can I have this gift again? Is it all right if I got this gift again? Or maybe... You know, can we do this every now and again? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, for real. I wouldn't, like, you know, singles, you want to trade? Yeah, it's like, you know, like office parties. What'd you get? Oh, okay, I think I'll take yours. And you're, it's a really difficult marriage. And you don't know who you're going to see when you open the door. You don't know if you're going to see nice husband or nasty husband. You don't know if you're going to see nice wife or nasty wife. And you go, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. God goes, it's a gift. Now, I need to say this. 
if you're in a physically abusive um, situation, get out, get out now. In fact, if you're here, please talk to me about it. I'll help. But I'm talking about those marriages and it's like, it feels like an argument every day. It feels like there's tension. And, and, and you know, you're a guy and you go, but she doesn't meet my physical needs. And God is going, it's a gift. It's a gift. Not a gift for you to go and sleep with someone else. It's a gift for you to sit and ask, why do you need her to meet these needs? What, what, what is that? And you say, you're, you're a woman, and you say, but he seems so irresponsible. And God goes, yeah, yeah, I know, it's a gift. It's a gift. I'm going to get controversial for a, section, for a time. Somebody say controversial. controversial. Okay, here it comes. You said it, so I'm going to do it. Some of us right now, just like with singles, You have desires that you cannot righteously satisfy. And some of us have opposite sex attractions. And some of us have same sex attractions. And you're going, but this is the way I was born. This is the way I was bent. This is the way I am. This is who I am. And it's a gift. Not for you to unrighteously satisfy those desires. It's a gift. But I feel, I feel so, I don't feel at home. I feel like every, I feel like a stranger everywhere I go. That's because this ain't your home, baby. And there are attractions that you have that you cannot righteously satisfy. And you go, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Jesus goes, it's a gift. I'm going to do it through you. You're going to depend on me like you never did. And there are other gifts like temptation and other gifts like suffering and other gifts like an attitude that you have to get under control or an attitude that's against you by your boss or something like that. God gives gifts, sometimes wrapped in pain, so that you might depend on him, so that Christ's power might rest on you, so that you wouldn't medicate, so that you wouldn't run to try to alleviate, but so that you would see Christ as more precious and more beautiful than you've ever seen it before. So what's today's big idea? I'm going to give it to you now. And we see it in the text. The first thing that God wants us to do when he gives us this gift wrapped in pain is don't deny. Now, in your sermon map, there's little dashes where you could write that down. Don't deny. You're in the place of suffering. You're in the place of difficulty. Don't act like it's not there. Don't pretend like the voices that you hear, it's not that bad. Listen, the suffering that you're going through, don't deny it. Don't say, well, it's not that bad, at least I'm not like... No, 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 don't do that. Look at what Paul says, I got a spear in my flesh. 
A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. Listen to me. Some of you just got to call it what it is. I got a tough marriage. Now, I don't recommend saying that to your spouse, but you need to, in your prayer life, say it to Jesus. I got a tough marriage. I got a tough, it's a tough call. I got, my singleness is a tough one. My sexual orientation is a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Don't deny. The, the second thing you have to do, and boy, you got to learn this, is learn to cry. Now, that has sort of a double in tundra, not just weep over the pain that you're going through, be authentic with yourself and where you are, but listen to me. Look at what Paul, learn to cry out to God in prayer. You could see that Paul goes back three times, three stages of life, three seasons I went through. And I mean, they were roll-up sleeves prayer. They weren't like kind and calm, and, and calm. These were serious prayers. They were, the kind of, they were like, God, don't send any angels. Come yourself. This is no time for boys. You got to do a miracle and do it now. You got to learn to cry out to God. You got to learn to take that burden, to take that gift. Go, I know it's a gift. But it hurts so bad. Would you comfort me? And I know you're comforting me. But would you comfort me some more? Don't cry. D don't deny. Learn to cry. And on Christ rely. Do you see it in the text? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You think you're the only one who's going through hardships? You think you're the only one who's been in the waiting room? You think you're the only one who's had to suffer in the waiting room? There was another man. There was another man who prayed three times and got a no. There was another man who prayed to the Father if this cup would pass from me. And who heard the Father's voice say, My grace is sufficient. His grace was sufficient for nails going through hands. His grace was sufficient for blows to the face. His grace was sufficient for skin being ripped off his back. His grace was sufficient for the sin of the world being poured on him. But listen to me. He prayed three times and got to know with a purpose. Got to know with a promise. And Jesus went on that cross 
and endured suffering like you and I will never have to because the Father had to turn his back on Christ so that he could turn from his back to face us. Listen. You're suffering? Look at Jesus. Go, Jesus. Here's what I do. I go, Jesus, is this what the garden felt like? Were you burdened by the temptation that I'm going through right now? Only like a trillion times more because you had the burdens of temptation of everyone at, that has ever lived for all time? Is this what temptation felt like to you? Yeah. And did you do all of that for me? Yeah. Then I would like to bear this temptation for you. I can't do it. You could do it through me, though. And so here's what I'm going to do. While I'm in my waiting room, I'm going to not deny it. I'm not going to act like this temptation. I'm not going to act like this physical ailment. I'm not going to act like this marriage or this singleness or this divorce. I'm not going to act like this, this sexual orientation. I'm not going to act like any of this is nothing because it's absolutely devastating to me. What I am going to do is I'm not going to deny and I'm going to learn to cry. God, Jesus, I don't know how to get through this. Is this what you went through? Then on Christ rely. When you're in the waiting room, that's the third lesson we learned, that when God gives you a gift wrapped in pain, we don't deny we learn to cry, and on Christ we rely.